Welcome to episode 125 of Kentucky History and Haunts. This is part two of the Rosetta Warren murder. So if you haven't listened to part one, you should go back and probably do that. But if you don't want to, I will give you the briefest synopsis of all time, which is that in the first part of this story, Rosetta Warren, very pregnant Rosetta Warren, was at home asleep in her bed Someone had placed dynamite under her bed. Her room exploded. She and her unborn child died. Two women were arrested, and now they are sitting in jail awaiting trial for murder. One of those women is Henrietta Wagner, and that's who we're talking about right now, where we're picking back up. Kentuckians know it can get warm in these parts in August. We've had a sweltering August this year. In fact, it's supposed to be 99 degrees next Tuesday, which will be September. But August 1923 was hot too. In fact, on August 12th of that year, it reached 99 degrees in many parts of the state. While some prisons in the United States still aren't cooled properly, you can be sure there was no form of air conditioning in rural prisons in the 1920s. So in a Hopkinsville jail in August of 1923, a prisoner named Henrietta Wagner was given some freedom to roam around to the cooler parts of the jail to escape that brutal summer heat. This was a decision jailers would quickly come to regret. On August 17th, Henrietta Wagner escaped. People working in the kitchen had been coming and going, bringing in supplies, and it's believed she was able to sneak out the open kitchen door while no one was looking. Jailers quickly learned from fellow inmates that Wagner had been inquiring about how to take a train to Louisville, where her sister lived. She left a suicide note claiming she wanted to be with her late husband and that she was going to drown herself, but the clothes and money she took with her made the police believe that was a ploy. Neighbors of the Warrens in Paducah feared that Henrietta Wagner was coming to kill them, since by now many of them had testified against her in the examining trial. Ironically, the same day she escaped, there was an advertisement in the Paducah paper that the exploded home on Clay Street had been repaired and was available for rent can't imagine they got many calls on it that day. Two days after her escape, the police found Henrietta Wagner at her sister's home in Louisville. Instead of being taken back to the prison from which she escaped, the sheriff of McCracken County personally escorted her back to his prison where she would be held in isolation until her trial. And on September 27, 1923, Wagner and Skillian were finally indicted for the murder of Rosetta Warren. There were five counts in total, and this would be a very odd indictment for modern times, I think, because it literally implies that Mrs. Wagner might not have killed Mrs. Warren, but it's 1923, and here we are. Here are the counts. One, that Henrietta Wagner did murder Rosetta Warren. Two, that Mrs. Henrietta Wagner killed Mrs. Warren and that she was aided and counseled by Mrs. Emma Skillian. Three, that an unknown person killed Mrs. Warren and that the unknown person was aided and counseled by Mrs. Wagner and Mrs. Skillian. Four, 
that Mrs. Wagner and Mrs. Skillian conspired together to commit the murder of Mrs. Warren, and five, that both Mrs. Wagner and Mrs. Skillian conspired with other unknown persons and aided in the commission of the crime. Before the trial started, Mrs. Wagner's attorneys put in a request for a change of venue. The request was denied by the judge, but he did allow the jurors to be selected from another county. Also before the trial started, she was examined by two separate alienists and they both determined her to be completely sane. However, once the trial started, Mrs. Wagner pled insanity and insisted she was being framed by her enemies. Wagner's trial began and ended on October 5th. Yeah, one day. I, I think it sounds crazy for such a high-profile case, but that's what the newspaper said, even though the prosecution called 55 witnesses. Sounds like a lot for one day. Um, but it also sounds like the defense really didn't do much at all. They didn't introduce any evidence or call any witnesses. Two of the people that testified were the Helmantollers, Paul, the son, and the mom. So Mrs. Helmantoller testified that at some point, Mrs. Wagner admitted to her that she killed Mrs. Warren using 10 sticks of dynamite. And this really gave me pause because in her earlier statement to police, Mrs. Helmantoller told them that she had not spoken with Mrs. Wagner in quite some time. So when would Mrs. Wagner have told her that she murdered Mrs. Warren? It was at this point that I started to question the Helmantoller's role in all of this a little bit. And then Paul testified that he had no idea what Mrs. Wagner was up to those couple times he drove her around in a taxi cab. And it's like, you had no idea, you never even asked, even though it was four o'clock in the morning, you weren't curious. Um, especially if their families knew each other, like it could have come up in casual conversation. So that part of it, ooh, I have questions. Anyway, Alfred Warren testified again. This time he told the court that Mrs. Wagner had professed her love for him, but that there was never any sort of illicit relationship bet between the two of them. I wonder about that too, but we'll talk about it later. Um, Rosetta's daughters testified that Mrs. Wagner had threatened their mother before in front of them, so that was pretty damning. Now, the jury was made up of 10 farmers and two businessmen, of course, all men. I'm not sure how long they took to deliberate, couldn't find that anywhere, but they did return a guilty verdict with a life sentence. And the vote was actually seven for life and five for the death penalty. So case closed. And then the following day, Mrs. Skillian's trial got postponed. So she wouldn't face trial until January of 1924. Now, there's a bit of a hiccup. A little over a month after um, Mrs. Wagner's trial, on November 22nd, an article comes out in the Lexington Leader that says Mrs. Wagner had been declared insane and committed to Eastern State Hospital. Remember, multiple doctors have already declared her sane. She's been tried by a jury on an insanity plea, found guilty, and sentenced. And now a month later, there are these reports in the paper that she's been found insane and is not going to be in prison anymore. And 
as you might imagine, the public goes a little crazy. They have no mercy, they have no sympathy for this woman, and they want her in jail. So in the following days, there are lots of updates posted in the paper about how she wasn't officially declared insane yet, she was just being taken to this hospital for further evaluation, and so you could see they're kind of trying to ease the public's mind about this. And then less than a month later, on December 2nd, so actually very quickly, a few days later, she's once again declared sane and taken back to prison to serve her life sentence. So clearly some higher-ups were like, oh my god, the people are going to freak out, let's just take her back to prison. I think that's what happened there. So little drama there, and then everything's cool for a minute, and then on January 14th, 1924, Emma Skillian's trial begins, and I think this is one of the most interesting parts of this story. Emma Skillian was charged with conspiracy. She had witnesses actually testify in her trial that she had never done or said anything self-incriminating in relation to the murder. The only thing they really seemed to have against her was this testimony from two of the daughters from right after the explosion who said they thought it looked like Emma Skillian who came up to the wreckage that day and made like a taunting face at them. And that was really it. The only other thing against her was that she was friends with Mrs. Wagner. But on January 17th, she was convicted and also sentenced to life in prison. The case against her is just so vastly different from that of Mrs. Wagner. It's like everyone involved was just operating on the assumption that because she was close friends with Mrs. Wagner, she had to know about it and be guilty too. Now, Emma may not have been a nice lady. I don't know. But there's certainly no real evidence I can see that she was involved in this thing. And her lawyers saw that, and other people saw it too. So about a week later, there's this in the paper. Quote, Judge Joe L. Prince in circuit court, sorry, Price in circuit court today, sustained a motion filed by counsel for Mrs. Emma Skillian, convicted at the January term of court of conspiring with Mrs. Henrietta Wagner to the murder of Mrs. Rosetta Warren to postpone the court's rendition of judgment on the jury verdict until the fifth day of the February term of McCracken County Circuit Court. Now, I want to pause. What I'm about to tell you next isn't pertinent to Skillian's legal battle, but it's at this point in the timeline of this story, February 1924, less than a year after Rosetta Warren was murdered. Rosetta Warren's stepdad was killed in an explosion at the flour mill where he worked. So just to add to the tragedy of this story, Mrs. Ramage, Rosetta's mom, had now lost her daughter and her husband within a year of each other in explosions. It's just unreal. So back to Skillian. On February 8th, 1924, there's a hearing for a new trial for Emma. They argued there were multiple issues with the first trial, including the fact that even though the jurors were from a neighboring county, they weren't sequestered at all, and they were reading the newspapers every day during the trial. But on March 20th, she is denied a new trial. So in June, her attorneys filed a brief with the Court of Appeals. And finally, by January of 1925, Emma Skillian was granted a new trial 
set for April of that year, two years after the murder. So they do the whole song and dance again, and on April 25th, 1925, after six hours of deliberation, a jury found Emma Skillian not guilty. She went up and shook the hand of each individual juror and then, quote, didn't know what to do next. Now, while all this is going on with Skillian, Mrs. Wagner was sitting in prison serving out her sentence, right? Up until September 11th, 1931, when it's announced that she is going to be released on parole, eight years after the murder, eight years into her life sentence. And if you thought the people of Paducah were upset when Wagner got a chance to go to the insane asylum, you can imagine how furious they were when they learned a convicted murderer of a mother and her unborn full-term child was getting released back into their community by the state parole board. So after that first article comes out about her release, it was an absolute bureaucratic cluster. So temporarily, the parole was upheld by the governor. It was uh, Governor Sampson pending further investigation. Quote, Vigorous protest against the paroling of Mrs. Wagner was made by Judge Joe L. Price on receipt of a letter from the reformatory asking his opinion of the advisability of paroling the Paducah woman. In his reply, he declared he was opposed to the proposed action. Commonwealth Attorney Henry H. Lovett also had registered disapproval of the parole. So, in mid-September, the governor met with two members of the parole board. One of them insisted that Wagner had been a model prisoner and that all the evidence against her was circumstantial. You know, model prisoner, except for that time she escaped, right? It wasn't enough to convince him. So on September 22nd, Wagner's parole was revoked. And maybe the residents of Paducah could sleep soundly that night, but not for long. By December of that same year, just a couple months later, Henrietta Wagner was granted parole. She was released from prison with conditions. So by then, Wagner was 63 years old, and I guess she wasn't seen as a threat to society. So the condition of her parole was that she had to leave Paducah and never come back. Her plan was to live with her son in southern Illinois. I have to mention I found it interesting that the two members of the parole board were women. I just thought that was kind of kind of fun that they'd be on a prison parole board in 1923 for the state. It's kind of kind of progressive for Kentucky. Anyway, Wagner ended up being released in December that year. So she really did only serve about 8 years of her life sentence. And that's all I have on her. I couldn't find her name anywhere after that in the papers, so I'm not sure how she spent the remainder of her life. I'm not sure where she ended up or how she died, but I do know what happened to Emma Skillian, and brace yourself because it's just more tragedy. As you all know, there was a major weather event in Kentucky in 1937, the flood. Horrible, horrible devastation and loss. Well, after being found not guilty in her last trial, Emma Skillian moved to Louisville to live with her sister there. And on March 24th, 1937, Emma Skillian and her sister were found 
badly decomposed in a rear room of a residence on Washington Street in Butchertown. And it was estimated that they had been there for about two months before their bodies were discovered. And if you're cringing and thinking, how is that possible? The only thing I can think is that between it being really cold that winter and them being in Butchertown, which, hi, if you live here, you know what that smells like. Maybe the the smell just was masked or just wasn't that strong, but eventually people smelled it and went to the source and found their bodies. But God, just such a gruesome, horrible ending for, for Emma. You know, throughout this story, there's really nothing to indicate truly like what she was like or how much she was involved in this or if she was a good person or a bad person. You know, she was friends with Mrs. Wagner. That's really all I have. The story about the daughters seeing her, uh, thinking it was her that came up to them and made a face in the wreckage that day, can't say for certain if that was her or not, you know? Um, anyway, as for Alfred Warren, he does not appear in the papers much after the trials end. Uh, he did have a little financial trouble in the 40s. He foreclosed on some property. He hadn't paid his taxes. In 1943, he appears on a petition to make McCracken a dry county. And then in May of 1957, Alfred Warren passed away at the age of 69. All of his stepchildren, Rosetta's children, are mentioned right off the bat in his obituary. They were truly his family. Um, it sounded like they had kind of spread out around the country and had families of their own. So he had eight step-grandchildren. It doesn't appear he ever remarried or had children of his own. So that is the story of the murder of Rosetta Warren. Do you have questions? Because I sure do. I want to know who helped Mrs. Wagner set that dynamite because, you know, I'm not convinced at all that she did this, really. What was going on between her and Alfred Warren? I mean, had there been maybe a brief... Mrs. Robinson thing at some point? Do you really kill over a man who's never once reciprocated feelings for you? I don't know. Um, what about the Helmantollers? 18-year-old Paul really didn't question why he was driving this lady around in the middle of the night? There's a lot there. I would love to know your all's thoughts on this story. And I will leave you with one last thing. It's sweet. Rosetta Warren's headstone reads... Rosetta Warren, 1889-1923, by the grace of God, we meet again. And the headstone of Alfred Warren, who's buried 34 years later, reads, Alfred Warren, 1887-1957, by the grace of God, we meet again. plenty of pictures to go along with this story so be sure to connect with me on social media on instagram it's at ky history haunts you can search on facebook kentucky history and haunts and then there's also a facebook group kentucky history and haunts and more uh, topic suggestions you can dm me on any of those social platforms or you can email kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com let me know what you think and i'll see you next time